Amen. So we are back into the Fivefold Family series that I've been into. So this is the third week of that. And today we're talking about apostolic family. So what does it look like to be an apostolic family? So the last couple of sermons really was like an overview of this concept of God's family, or God having a family, God uh, restoring his family, and God really relating to humanity in the way that a father would relate to his children. So that's what God is establishing. God is restoring his family, and God's family looks like him. So it's not just that God is you know, amazing and epic and awesome, and then there's just this kind of ragtag bunch of misfits called the church or his family, but God's desire, I mean, that's, that's where we start uh, Jesus called, you know, the, those who weren't kind of accepted uh, and kind of in the high echelons of society when he called his disciples, but he saw them transform to be world changers, to be amazing people who transform cities and regions and nations. The, the church that exists today, the Christian church, started out with, with a bunch of kind of random dudes, fishermen, tax collectors, you know them, like that Jesus didn't, he didn't choose the best of the best. Uh, he chose the least of these, actually, and he raised them up. And that's what he does. That's his heart. But he, he built this family that then took on his nature and, and proclaimed the message of his kingdom to the world. It's amazing, isn't it? What we have today, billions of people that would call Jesus Lord uh, based upon this little handful of guys. So us plus Jesus equals amazingness. Amen? But it's not just that we stay the same. We get changed, we get transformed, become more like Jesus. It is awesome. So what is the fivefold? I'll just do a quick kind of overview of the scripture, where that comes from. It's in the book of Ephesians. So a letter uh, we, written by the Apostle Paul, uh, chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. And it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that's where we're gaining kind of this content from. So just to quickly kind of work through that, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Who did? Jesus did. So these are gifts coming from Jesus. These are uh, people that Jesus appointed to operate in that space. Are we able to maybe turn that one off? So why did Jesus give these five giftings? And remember, kind of Jesus really represents all of those five. He is, Jesus is all of those five in one. So Jesus is the ultimate apostle, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate evangelist, the ultimate shepherd, and the ultimate teacher. Uh, but it's like he divides them out in the church. But ultimately, the point of him dividing himself out in the church in these five is to bring people into maturity in him. So the point of Jesus giving the fivefold, this, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, is to equip the saints for work of ministry. It's to equip. This word equip is, anyone know what it is in the Greek? No? Either did I until I looked it up, but it's a katatismos. 
which means uh, complete furnishing or, or perfecting. It also kind of relates to like a chiropractic bone adjustment. So Jesus said, I'm going to give these five giftings to the church contained in people who will, who will lead the body of Christ into these things, almost to bring things into alignment so that the whole body is working properly when everything is in alignment together, when it's fully, when it's completely furnished, when it's perfected. That's the point of, of these is to bring people into, it's not for them to operate in their own kind of things or to start a ministry or to do these. It's actually for the body of Christ. So an apostolic leader isn't there for themselves to be an apostle as much as they are to help everyone to be apostolic. The prophet isn't there to be the one who prophesies. So that's an old covenant reality. In the new covenant, the apostle Paul even says in 1 Corinthians you know, 12, 13, 14, where he covers that he desires that everyone would prophesy. So the role of the prophet shifts now to not just being the one who does, but the one who equips others to do. And that's what's supposed to happen in the body of Christ. It's not that you just have these few select gifted individuals, but their role is to equip that everyone can do the things that Jesus calls them to do. Everyone can look like Jesus. It's John Wimber that says, everyone gets to play. So if you're sitting there going, it sounds great, but I'm just not, I'm not that person. Well, you can be in Christ. And, and the, the role of the leadership of the church is to equip you to do that. It's not, there's, no, uh, there's no spectators in the body of Christ. It's all part, we're all participators. We all have a role to play. And you go, but Brad, you don't understand my history. You don't understand the history of the disciples. The ones that you read about that you might build your life upon the teachings or the stories that they share. Find me a perfect person in the Bible apart from Jesus. We're all, it doesn't matter what your history is. The point is you come and you meet before this powerful, amazing, almighty God. And he says, I'm going to change you and transform you into my likeness. And you're not going to try really, really hard and strive with all your might. It's about yielding to him. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. It's the presence of God who does all of that work. And you just get to agree with that. Amen? So again, we are equipped for the work of ministry. So this word ministry means service. It means serving the king. The King Jesus. So again, in, in kind of probably more modern times, we've utilized this word and we've understood this word. Oftentimes, when we talk about serving in ministry, we think, oh, within the church. Oh, so I'm, I'm part of the children's ministry or I'm part of the worship ministry. I'm part of this ministry, that ministry. And we think about kind of church activities, Christian activities. That's not what the word means. It is far broader than that. It's not about being contained within the church. It's actually what we do as the church. Everything we do as the church, everything you do as a believer is ministry. You are ministering to God and you're ministering to people. And you're ministering to God and you're ministering to me. I'm ministering to you. We're ministering to the lost. We're ministering to those who are already saved. We're just serving and loving. That's what we do. Everything is under, we, we, everything that we do that's under the lordship of Jesus is called ministry. Okay, so the question is, well, what's under his lordship? Everything is. When you become a Christian and Jesus becomes your Lord, he's not the Lord of your spiritual life. He's not the Lord of your mind. He's not the Lord of your heart or just the Lord of your... He's the Lord of everything. He is Lord of all. Everything is under his leadership. Everything that you do is under the lordship of Jesus. When you go to work tomorrow... 
Your work and what you do at your work is under the lordship of Jesus. You might have an employer, but it's under his lordship. Everything that you do, every way, if you might be a parent in a family, you are under the lordship of Jesus. So you're serving your children, you're serving your husband or your wife, you're serving in your friendships. It's all under the lordship of Jesus. So again, it's not about serving the church, it's about serving Jesus. So when we might come and you might serve within this time frame or within this property and you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm serving the church. No, you're serving Jesus in the church. And you're serving Jesus in the world. You're serving Jesus everywhere that you go. Now, part of serving Jesus involves serving his family, serving his body. Yeah, that's part of serving Jesus because he'll say, hey, serve my body today. Serve my family today. Serve a stranger today. It's about serving his bride. It's serving those who don't know him. It's just serving. I think he can sum up a lot of Christianity. What's Christianity about? It's about serving. Jesus was a servant. He came to serve. He came to serve. That's the model of our king. That's the model. That's the one who set the example. You know, Philippians, he did not... Uh, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the likeness of a servant. He made a human flesh. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he was exalted to the highest place. So we understand that in Christ, there is this exaltation reality that he seats us with him in heavenly places. But the pathway to exaltation is always through humiliation. And we are in the season of humiliation. Humiliation, that sounds shameful. No, I'm not talking about shameful, but that's what humility is. And the reality is, as I've said many, many times, the Bible says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. And the reason it says humble yourselves is because if you wait for God to do it, it's not going to turn out as well as what you might think. I've tried it many, many times. And I've learned the lesson. I've asked God to humble me. I'm like, whoa, I'm not doing that again. I'll do it myself. You know, because it's because God's like, he... he it's, it's like those prayers that God always answers. If you pray humble yourself, God's going to do it. But that's the reality that that's what we're living in. We are servants. And yet we are part of this kingly realm. We've been invited to the royal family. But what does this royal family look like? It looks like a whole bunch of servants. Even when we talk about like spiritual parenting, spiritual fathering, I don't know about you, but in my family as a father... I don't see a lot of me getting served in my family. And if I was, it's like, you know, what is, what is this little toddler doing? Why can't they get me a drink? Why can't they? I mean, I'm sure you ask your kids to do stuff, but I found that I was the one wiping somebody else's backside. Like I was the one doing the nap. I was the one get, making them food still today. And then your kids, and they all like different things. Li- I literally sometimes will cook five meals in a night for all the different appetites in my family. But, but it's like, oh, you're giving. So uh, the father, and yet you are, you know, for me, I'm in, a, in the position of spiritual authority in my family. What does it look like to be in spiritual authority? It looks like to be the servant of all. The apostle Paul says, you know, like I've been made the least, but that's the point. When you're a foundation layer, you're laying the bit in the ground that nobody sees. It's not the spectacular thing. And yet that which is built upon it, if I don't serve my children, the life that they build will crumble because it won't be built on the foundation that I lay that's going to last for, for generations. So I have a responsibility. But in, in, in 
hundred years time, they might not look back and say, oh, we're considering what Brad Joss laid in the foundation because they might not know about it. But even as the first generation of Christians in my family, my parents have now become Christians, but I was the first out of my whole family to, to meet Jesus. So I know now I've got to lay this foundation so that my children and their children are built upon this foundation that gets laid. But that's what it looks like to be part of the body of Christ. So we might use language of people being in full-time ministry. And again, I'm a big language nerd because language is descriptive, but it's also creative. So the language that we use can describe something, but it can also create a reality. So again, that's why I don't call this church. That's why you are right now in a Sunday gathering of the church, in this church anyway, uh, in this community. We don't call this building a church. We don't say, I don't say I'm going to church on a Sunday because what it does is it creates in your mind this understanding that the church is contained to four walls or is contained to a certain period of time. When it's not, and the church needs to be uncontained, <laughs> it needs to break out of the container. The reason that the world is in the state that it's in is because the church is being languaged and confined to a time and a place. That's not the church, that's not what it was designed to be. And it's the opposition of what the apostolic gift set brings into the body of Christ. So it's good that we're teaching on this, isn't it? Because some, some of us, we might need to break out of our mentality molds of what the church is and what church is and not to call it those things. So early on, I used to joke around about having like a swear jar uh, in, in, you know, when we were small. So if like, if, if you use the word church in the, worst, in the wrong context, you had to put money in the jar. But we never did that. But, uh, and again, I've, I've, I've relaxed in some of those ways, but it's so important to understand even this word, oh, ministry. Well, it's not those who are paid by the church who are in full-time ministry. Everyone is in full-time ministry to Jesus. Every single one of you. Regardless of where your pay packet comes from, you are there serving Jesus. And ultimately, all your provision is coming from him anyway. But you know what? What will change in your workplace is if you work as though you're working for Jesus. If you serve as though you're serving him. And this, the scripture is very clear about this. <laughs> it's do, do all for the glory of God. Everything that you do, whether eating or drinking, do everything for the glory of God. But what's your boss going to look at when, it see, when, they, when your boss sees you working like that? Because you're like, I'm not working for you, buddy. I'm working for Jesus. So I'm going to give my utmost and I'm going to walk in excellence in everything that I do. Not being like, ah, I'm just, I'm just going to be lazy. I'm just going to see what I can get away with. It's not honoring the Lord because you're working for him. And he's your provider. So I call this the pervasiveness of the Lordship of Jesus. If you think that the Lordship of Jesus doesn't touch some area of your life, you are mistaken. He's interested in everything. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He hasn't, he hasn't purchased part of your life. You haven't been semi-crucified with Christ. You've been fully crucified with Christ. You've been fully buried with him. You've been fully raised with him. Your life is fully being purchased by him. So there's nothing left of you and everything of him. So every part of your life now is like, I'm just here to serve Jesus. Why am I still on the earth? If you're just waiting around to go to heaven one day, that's still, what a waste of time. But he's left you here so you can serve him, so you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Amen? Amen. 
All right. So why, again, so they're being brought, equipped the saints for works of ministry. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and it's for the building up of the body of Christ. So again, the, 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 this gift set is there, equipping everyone and then building up the body. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So it's going to bring a connectedness together. Again, when Jesus is the center and we're all serving Jesus, then there's a natural sense of unity that comes from it. It's not people pulling in their own directions with their own agendas. But I think, again, sometimes in our lives or in the church, we can get consumed by us all having our own agenda. And we try to pull people to what is my preference? What is my agenda? What do I want? What do I like? Rather than saying, Jesus, what is your agenda? What do you want, Lord? I know for us, even as a leadership team, we wrestle and, we, and we, 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 we just wrestle through stuff, through ideas, but no one's representing their own perspective. They're saying we're fighting for what Jesus wants because what Jesus wants is the best for all of us ultimately. We get to lay down. So naturally when we lay ourselves down and we, and we go after what Jesus wants, there's a natural unity that happens. To the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or to, to mature personhood. So the point again, the fivefold, equipping and maturing everybody. And, you know, for me, uh, my heart is to continue to be really intentional with our community that we don't take away the responsibility from you that Jesus has given to you. So we could take away from you the responsibility of making disciples. And we say, all you need to do is just invite your friends along. We'll do all the evangelizing. We'll do all the disciple making. We'll do all of that sort of stuff. The issue is that he hasn't called the leaders of the church to do those things. He's called everyone to do it. If you're a disciple, you're a disciple maker. That's what you sign up to straight away. So what our role is to equip you is to how to do that. And I'm not saying we've done a great job in that, but I'm just saying that's, that's why you might find, well, why isn't the church being, having a big evangelistic service? The likelihood is people aren't going to come to this place even if you invite them. We just live in, in a culture where people aren't interested in coming along to a place on a Sunday. They'd rather sleep in. They'd rather go down to the Sunday markets. They'd rather have, you know, smashed abo on toast for brunch on a Sunday morning, you know. Like what interest is there? And so if we're just coming and all we've really got for the world is an invitation to a church service, like, really, is that, is that what the world is longing for? I'm just bored on a Sunday morning if only somebody would come and proclaim the good news of a different place that I could hang out on a Sunday morning. Then my life would be changed. That's not the gospel that we're called to preach. We carry the message of Jesus and his kingdom, but it's supposed to invade and pervade every part of society and culture. And it's the message that you carry. And the reality is that you will, you will spend time with people that I'll never meet. And no matter how, how much you beg them to come, no matter how easy we made this and how comfortable we made this for people, even if we started serving smashed avo on toast, they probably still wouldn't come. <laughs> they're like, I'm just not interested. But they're interested in hope. They're interested in transformation. They're interested in healing. They're, they're interested in spiritual things. There's got to be, if this is what it's all about, oh my gosh, this, really Jesus died so we could get together on a Sunday morning. It just, it's just, there's so much more, and yet we can make so much of life about this. Now, I'm not saying this isn't important and it serves a role, but the role is to equip you for the majority of your time that you spend outside of this place. 
Come on, Flutella's speaking. Come on. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be built up into maturity in Christ. So again, our goal is to mature you. If you end up being, well, I don't want to be more mature than me because then that would be like I'm going downhill. But, you know, like the point is we're all supposed to be maturing. We're all supposed to be equipped that everyone can carry the message of the gospel. My desire is that you would be better at preaching the gospel than me. I'm not, we're not fussed about people being big here. We want to raise up big people, world changers, people who have a, a big vision from God. Now, what we'll do is we'll help you in that journey that you also have a big character, not just a big vision, but a big character that can sustain you, that you can be a vessel that's going to be able to carry the glory that he wants to release upon you. The glory of God is really dangerous to broken vessels. It is because it just blows them apart. It's like they can't contain it. But so we have a responsibility to lead you, to, to mature you. Yeah, that's maturing in Christ. Anyway, so why? The reason why, again, so that we'll no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So again, another role of the firefold is to keep you tuned in to what the Lord is doing and what the Lord is saying and where the Lord is going. That you're not getting drawn off in this direction. And what about this thing? And what about this thing? And what about this thing? Let's actually keep us tuned in. What is the Lord saying? What is he doing? Let's stay on track. Amen? But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head. We're to grow up into Christ. He holds, joins the whole body together. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So then this outcome is we have this amazing community of love for the purpose of what? Oh, just so we can enjoy it and consume it and be happy Christians and go apart out. Uh, you know, yeah, just feel good. That's what we want. We just want to feel good place. So you all feel warm and fuzzy every week. <laughs> Not so that the world would know that Jesus is Lord. But you'd be so filled with love. Love will compel you to do radical things. If you've been in love, you know you just do crazy stuff when you're in love. And that's what God wants. He wants the people that are in love with him. And they'll do crazy things for him. Not because they're crazy, but because they're crazy in love with him. I'll go wherever you want to send me, Lord, because I'm in love with you. Because if that's where you're going, then that's where I want to be. Yeah, I'll talk, to, I'll talk to a stranger on the street. It petrifies me, Lord. But I'll do it petrified because I love you. And I'm so filled with love. And I love that person that doesn't know you today. And I know they, they're going to spend eternity without you, Lord. And that breaks my heart. So I, I'm compelled to speak. Not because I love speaking to random people. But because I love you and I love people. We've got to shift some of that so we're not constantly striving and stuff, but when we're falling in love with him and we're falling in love with what he loves, then we're naturally empowered to do radical, crazy things because that's what love calls us to do. Yeah. Amen? Amen? All right. That's a quick overview. <laughs> so we're talking about an apostolic family. What is the word apostle? Uh, where does it come from? It comes from the Greek word apostolos. And it means a sent one or one sent from another. That's what it means. So we see the word apostle or apostolos in the Greek. Uh, that's where we often translate the word mission or sent in, in the, into the English. But it's this word apostolos. So it was a word actually borrowed from Roman culture. So Jesus takes this word that they would have understood, but there wasn't like a Jewish word or a Jewish thing that represented this. So Jesus takes something from the culture that they understood. 
So this is from a, um, a, an article that I read, but it says, Among the earliest uses of the term were the Greek historians who used it to describe an admiral over a fleet of ships sent out by a king to discover, explore, conquer, and establish his government in new territories. So Jesus' choice of the word reflects the meaning and stresses its emphasis on one sent from another or a fully authorized representative ambassador of the sender. So an ambassador is, sorry, an apostle is an ambassador of the one who sent him. So essentially, as in Roman culture, you know, there's that saying, you know, when in Rome, do the Romans do? Like that, that was an understanding in, in Roman cultures, when they conquered a land, they didn't take on the culture of that place. They brought in Roman culture. They brought in Roman architecture, Roman language. So it looked like Rome. So you could travel around to different places, and that place that was once a different culture now looks like Rome because Rome had conquered it. Okay? So it's the same principle for the body of Christ, for the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes into a place, that place no longer looks like the culture that once existed there, but starts to look like the culture of heaven, the culture of the kingdom. So as you are trained and raised up as apostolic people, that you will go wherever you go, into your neighborhood, into your family, even your family home, into your workplace, schools, university, the local shopping center, wherever you go, you're there to enculturate that place with the culture of heaven. That's, that's the role of the apostolic. But again, it's not just one who's going out there with some good ideas and some good language and good plans. It's actually one sent with the authority of the king to go into that place. So it's not just that you go with a message or with a culture, but you go with the authority of the king. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So disciple all nations, all, the word is ethnos. All ethnicities, all people groups would be discipled to look like me. That's the message, that's the mission that we are all called to walk on, to walk out in our lives. Amen? All right. Is everyone warm? People warm? All right. Can we maybe, it is quite warm. I've noticed people fanning themselves. It's the, the weather's changing. Hallelujah. It's getting warm. It's good. All right. So what, what did apostles do or what do apostles do? Apostles, the first thing they do is they represent the one who sent them. Sent them. So apostles or apostolic people, and again, we're all apostolic. We're all being trained into the apostolic because we're all becoming like Jesus. Amen? We're all sent ones from God. Doesn't mean that you will be necessarily one who equips other saints, but you will operate in that apostolic gift set because you are becoming more like Jesus. So it's a representative is one who represents Represent, represent. So present over and over again. So we are constantly presenting Christ to the world. In word, in deed, in nature. So who we are presents Christ to the world. What we say presents or represents Christ to the world. What we do represents Christ to the world. So everything that you do in every sphere, you are presenting Christ to the world. So we might footy team, I'm presenting Christ to the world. In, in your workplace, you're presenting Christ to these people. Is that, does that feel like a weighty, significant thing? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, oh, yeah that's so good. Does it feel weighty and significant? Well, that's what I'm called to do. It's because it is. But it's the point of your life. The point of your life is to present Christ to the world. Amen? 
So an ambassador operates in the same authority as the one who sent them. That's why we can see miracles break out through our hands because we are under the lordship of Jesus. We are under his authority. And he has all authority, which means you have all authority. Yeah? How much authority do you have to cast out demons? All authority. How much authority do you have to heal? All authority. How much authority do you have to establish the kingdom of God on the earth? All authority. So apostles represent Christ and they establish representatives. So in this fivefold context, part of the apostolic is to establish you as a representative. But again, so it's teaching you what to say. It's showing you what to do. But it's also helping you to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus. The reason we do the Elijah House stuff or the Heart Journey stuff is, is not for, just for your healing. It's not just because we care about you and love you. If you get healed and set free and then you do nothing with it, it's a waste of time. Yeah. It benefits you. But the point is that you can represent Christ to the world. The more Christ-like you become, the more the world gets to see Christ through you. So if you're doing a healing journey, there might be suffering like, I can't live with this brokenness, I can't live with this pain anymore, and I get that. But if you stop there, like, oh, cool, I'm uncomfortable now. It's, it's not enough. Jesus didn't die to make you comfortable. Does anyone like my preaching this morning? It's okay, okay, good. I'm just checking. So apostles represent and apostles build. So 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So the word skilled master builder is the Greek word architecton, which is where we get the word architect. That's what we, it comes from that, that Greek word. So apostolic people or apostles are kingdom architects. They see the blueprints and they help to lay the design foundation. They're kingdom architects. So again, you might say, so if, if I'm operating in an apostolic grace, I'm establishing maybe the church in a way, this local community in a way that functions apostolically, lays a foundation for good things to get built upon. But as you learn and grow in that apostolic grace yourself, that portion of Christ, and you start to view the world, not from, oh, what did I learn from my family? What did I learn from culture? But what actually, what am I learning from heaven that God wants to establish in this place? So I'm not raising my family based upon my history, but I'm raising my family upon the architecture that God would give me to say, this is the foundation I want you to lay so that this family can be built upon this, the church family, your work community, the culture that you're bringing into that place. We need to be asking God and expecting that he's going to give us divine strategies for seeing transformation in that place. And you might work in a place and you go, how's God going to transform this place? He has a plan. He's able to do it. But what he needs is willing vessels who will be in agreement with him and willing to risk and take bold steps to see those things come about. Amen? Another thing that apostles do, apostles expand. So this is the missional focus, the sent ones. So oftentimes we think of apostles as church planters. Not every apostle in the Bible was a church planter. So you look at the apostle Paul, he was going out establishing new works. But the apostle Peter was working within the existing um, Jewish community to see the gospel spread in that place. Okay, So it's not always necessary that you're going to pioneer new works, but you're working within what already exists to expand the kingdom into that place. 
You know, for me, my heart is to see the body of Christ reformed and transformed. Not to say, oh, we just need to forget the church. It's not doing a great job. Let's forget them. Let's just build a whole lot of new churches. I'm like, there's enough churches in this city. But they might be concerned about things that God's not concerned about. They might be stuck in some places of, of kind of generational brokenness or just, just stuck in funky thinking about things, whatever it is. But it's like, let's, let's see the body of Christ come alive. Maybe they've actually just been burnt out for many, many years of plowing hard ground in a place without healthy intercession that's freed up their spiritual atmosphere. Who knows? Whatever reason, doesn't matter. But for me, I love the body of Christ. I want to see the body of Christ because that is the missional vehicle that God's going to use to transform the world. It's his church. So we can't say, ah, forget that church, forget that church. If you see something happening in a church and you don't like it, you should be praying for them and blessing them. I see too many videos of stuff just tearing people down online. I'm like, I'm just so sick of that crap. It's just, it's just nonsense. Now, does funky stuff happen in the church? Absolutely it does. But I think half the time it's actually the, the church that raises up these celebrity pastors and puts them on a platform that God never wanted them to be on. And their character couldn't sustain them in. So they want to see the kingdom of God expand, but I think the kingdom of God needs to expand in the church as much as it does in the world in, in many ways. I know there's an a, author and speaker called Francis Frangipan, and uh, I heard that he was asked in an interview, um, and, he's, and the person asked him, uh, what do you think is the greatest spirit that's opposing the church right now? And I'm guessing they were thinking he's going to answer, you know, it's a Jezebel spirit or the Leviathan spirit or whatever, and his answer was, I think the spirit of God. And you wonder where, where God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I think the church for too long has been sitting in a place of pride, sitting in a place of entitlement and expectation, thinking the world should be listening to us because we have the answer. And yet we're, we're hidden away. We're not out in those places sharing the gospel and representing Christ and serving the broken and the lost and the hurting. We're sitting in our ivory towers expecting, oh, we've got all the answers. And yet the world's just not listening to the church. The world is not interested in what the church has to say. And when the media does, they find the dude with the big pointy hat and the robe on. They ask him. Because he represents you, apparently. Okay, don't hear me on saying that. He's, he might love Jesus and be amazing. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying it's like that's, that's what the world thinks of the church is what might be represented in just kind of this old thing that people, you know, say, oh, the, the church needs to get modernized. Like, you know, we need to take on all the things that the world is doing and stuff. But it's like, just the world's not interested because the world's not seeing the kingdom of God come about. They're not meeting Jesus in the people that they interact with. So our apostles or apostolic leaders equip others to be apostolic. Amen. I've got a, uh, there's a guy called Alan Hirsch and he's written a lot about um, the firefold in the church and all that sort of stuff. But it's a, a section from his book and he says, when the apostolic really works. It says, churches with a strong apostolic bias tend to break new ground, constantly pushing the bounds of creativity in ministry and forging ahead into new territory. In these communities, spirituality tends to be experienced as something dynamic, adventurous, and innovative. 
So that's when it's really working. <laughs> you, the a significant prophetic word we had over this church was that God's going to give you a way of doing church that no one's ever seen before. And that might seem really exciting and awesome, but it's also like, so how do we know if we're getting it right or we're just doing something different and it's wrong? That's why you've got to be yielded to God. But you've got to understand that that just means you've got to be venturing out into new spaces, doing new things, trying things that haven't been tried before. It's exciting, but also kind of scary. He says, however, when the apostolic is dominant to the exclusion of the other four, the organization will be task-driven, demanding, and alienating. So again, we have, we've got to also be concerned that we don't become an apostolic church. Okay? We're not, I'm not here to, to see this place become an apostolic church. Like, that's one. We want to be fivefold because that's Christ. So it's really one. It's Jesus. We want to look like him. But it has to have that dynamic. Otherwise, the church starts to kind of close in on itself. Starts just to really be inwardly focused. Now, again, you've got to care for your family. Like your own, if you have a, a biological family, well, I have a responsibility to care for my family. That's not the only responsibility I have. Okay? But you, you do have to do some of those things where you nurture and care and raise. That's what the Father does, builds up the body of Christ. But it's in order for it to be out in the world impacting culture. So what is the role of the apostolic when it comes to building family? Well, an apostolic family builds. They build according to the blueprints that God gives. They build people. They build communities. They build structures and systems that enable heaven to dwell on earth. And they build family. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 to 17, the Apostle Paul says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So within apostolic communities, there's a family environment, but there are people who operate as spiritual parents in those places. And I kind of talked even some of that last week uh, in the Identity and Destiny uh, sermon that I shared on Father's Day. But it's about, it's about viewing people, others as children, not in a condescending way, but in a way like, hey, I want to serve you. I want to lay my life down to see you excel and become amazing. So an apostolic family lives sent. So they live as sent ones. They're not static. They're not about building an enclave. They're not about staying in one place. They go wherever the father leads. And the father says, it's time to move. Then we move. They follow the cloud and the fire, like the people in the wilderness. They're, they're pilgrims, and they understand, well, heaven's our home. This isn't our home. So it's no point building a fortification here. We want to move wherever the Lord is moving. Go wherever his presence is leading us. I mean, that's why we're here on this land. It wasn't in our minds 10 years ago. It wasn't on the vision board. But we just followed him and he opens up this opportunity. It's like the, the cloud moved and we said, okay, Lord, we'll move. And so well, that's going to cost us. That's going to be hard. We might lose some things on the way, but we want to be wherever you want us to be. Everywhere we are sent, we make disciples and establish the kingdom of God. So we understand that we're, we're sent by God into the world. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father sent Jesus from heaven to earth, so... The Father is sending you. Jesus is sending you from a heavenly perspective to bring that reality to earth. The next thing an apostolic family does is an apostolic family governs. 
The apostolic contains within it a governing nature and function, shifting and influencing culture. So again, I mean, this is a whole sermon um, series we could probably do on, on this word ecclesia, the church, what we translate as church. That word ecclesia, again, was a Roman word, a part of Roman culture. It was a, the governing body in a particular region. So when we think of the, the local Rockingham Council, so they're a governing body in this region. Well, the church, Jesus says the church is like that, but governs spiritually in a particular place. So it has a sphere of authority, and, and the Lord says, and I want you to govern spiritually what happens in a place. So that's part of the role of the church, is to govern. And then that government would ultimately impact the natural earthly reality, but it starts in the heavenly reality. But we have a role to govern things spiritually. That's why we come together and pray regularly. Because we feel like, well, God, if you, we're going to position ourselves so we can hear from you and we can pray because we have authority and our words are powerful, and we might start to shift the atmosphere over a region. Over a place, we might start to see people's lives changed and breakthrough happen because they can come out from underneath the power of principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. It's in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. So there's this governing kind of role that the church takes on. Now, again, it's not this domination, but it is about dominion. It is about seeing Jesus. It's not about the church coming into this authority place. Now, where everyone's going to listen to the church and everyone's going to ask the church questions and ask the church for decision-making. It's, it's about the church serving, but so impacting the culture around them that people, the culture starts to look like Jesus. The culture starts to look like heaven. I would love for us to come to a place that where the local council would inquire of us as to what our thoughts are, not because they're somehow under us, but they go, you guys are so present in our community. You guys are making the church, not just paradox, but the church in this city is making such an impact. We need you. We love what you're doing. And we've got this idea. And what do you think about it? And then we'd have a voice to speak into that place. Now, again, that's been prophesied over us, but my heart is that the, the church in this city would raise up the church in this region, in this nation, would be in a place, not where the government goes, oh, another church, and what do they want now? But that we would be saying, hey, council, what can we do to serve you? What can we do to serve this city, to see a city change? That's an apostolic mindset. And they say, oh, we just want a nice place to gather on a Sunday. It's like, no, we want this place changed and transformed to look like heaven. So again, that understanding of an apostleship, that Roman enculturation, that we'll be kingdom culture spreaders everywhere that we go. Governing the natural and spiritual realm. An apostolic family grows. And again, it's not about get packing numbers into a place. It's about building people, growing people by the nature of Christ. So maturity is the goal, not numbers. It's about your sending capacity, not your seating capacity. Amen. That's what we want. If we, if, we, if we had a thousand people packed in a building and all they did was rock up on a Sunday and then go about their everyday lives, not really paying much attention to Jesus and his plans and purposes. It's like, is that really what the church is supposed to be? I'd rather a hundred world changes than a thousand seat warmers. Okay? Because that's what's going to see this city, this region, this nation transformed as people who are willing to lay down their lives for Jesus as he laid down their lives for him. An apostolic family grows by making disciples. You are a disciple maker. If you can say today, I don't know how to make disciples, 
then please come and say, can you teach me how to make disciples? Because like, we can give you all the equipping that you want, but you've got to take it on and say, oh, is that my responsibility? Make a list, say, who am I discipling? If the answer is, is nobody, then you're not being obedient to Jesus. I, I'm not sorry to say that, but I'm, I'm sorry if that, like, if that hits you and goes, well, it's so clear in the scriptures what you're called to do. And if you're not doing that, you're just going to go, why am I not doing that? I'm super busy. Why am I so busy with activities that are outside of the priority of what Jesus has given for my life? What do I need to stop doing so I can make disciples? Maybe you don't know any non-Christians. It's like, cool. So what do I need to do to go and find some people that don't know Jesus? How, how do I need to equip myself? Now, I'm, I'm putting little videos together. We're putting stuff together for you that can help you to do that. But ultimately, the hunger's got to come from you. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll give you a resource that you'll never use. And then it seems a bit pointless, yeah? And when disciples make disciples, we get into the space of multiplication. Uh, Greg and I were chatting the other week, and we were talking about, you know, kind of how growth happens in disciple making. And I've, I've shared this stuff with you before, but um, if, you, if you raise disciples who make disciples, if I, to say I was to disciple Mitch in a year and train him how to make disciples, Okay? He's going to grow in maturity in Christ. He's going to be on the heart journey, get some healing, restoration, and he's going to learn this is how we make disciples. Okay? And then next year, Mitch goes out and disciples one person and I disciple another person. Okay? And, we do, and we do that. It's around about 35 years, the entire population of the earth would be discipled. And they'd be discipled to make disciples. So they're growing. They've learned the skills. How do I grow in maturity? How do I keep growing? But at the same time, if you did that with just say 100 people a year, if this church grew... By 100 people a year, okay, you think, that's pretty good. 100 new Christians, okay, they didn't necessarily learn to make disciples, but they were filling up a room. So in 10 years' time, 1,000 people. You'd be like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's 1,000 people. Do you know how long it would take to see the world transformed? Yeah. 7 million years. Is the invite them along to church, get them saved, fill up the seats? Do you think that's a good and a wise strategy and investment of resource? No. It's just a long time that people are going to be waiting. And I assume in that period of time, either Jesus is going to return or the church is going to be significantly, this population is going to be significantly larger. But we've got to take on that responsibility. Anyway, this is not a sermon today. It's not about disciple making. So an apostolic family blesses. So right from the beginning of God forming family on the earth, his intent was to, it, for it to be a blessing, a blessing to the nations. This is in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Right at the beginning, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, be a sent one, and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dis dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the world should be blessed by our existence. The world should be blessed by your existence. Every relationship that you have should be blessed by your existence. Your neighborhood should be blessed by your existence. That's why the first B on the Beats little cards, which is the missional training framework. Okay, We've got it all there. It's ready for you to go. It's to bless because it represents heaven when we bless. Amen? All right. We're almost at the end. So what are some of the enemies... 
uh, that, that stops an apostolic family from moving and growing. Complacency, comfort. We, gotta, we, gotta, we, gotta, we need to slay the giant of comfort in our culture. That, 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 that idol needs to be torn down. Probably most of our lives. Religiosity stops that because then it's all like we get we, we form rigid structures that become too hard to move. Oh, we can't do that because you know because this and we can't do that because of this and it's, it's like, not talking about doing ungodly things for the sake of of God, but it's, it's about if, if we have these religious things, these traditions. Oh no, well we don't do it. That's not the way that we do it here. Unless there's a there's a good reason behind it, a godly reason behind it. So let's let's shape and mold. But again, it's not so much about what we do when we gather on a Sunday. It's what we do when we scatter in every day of the week. Another enemy of an apostolic family is politicizing. Again, when we start to get too much into natural or earthly authority structures and warring at that level. Jesus said. Beware of the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees, which is essentially the leaven of this political spirit, political ideology, and the religious spirit, religious ideology. We need to be, well, we're not under those things. We're under the lordship of Jesus. Now, do we want to see the political sphere transformed? Absolutely. Do we want to see the body of Christ transformed? Absolutely. But we're not going to go in and start positioning ourselves, well, the world needs to listen to us, or we're going to dominate politics so that we can control the world. Not at all. We want to see transformation. And the final thing, there's probably more, but individualism or rebellion. Those things just don't allow that. You've got to understand I'm connected to something bigger than just myself. My family is connected to something bigger than just myself. All right. So we will have apostles or apostolic people that will grow up in this community. And we want to equip those who are called into that apostolic ministry. But our priority is to raise people that look like Jesus. And part of looking like Jesus is becoming apostolic, just like he was. Understanding that we've been sent by Jesus into the world to make disciples and to bring the reality of heaven to earth in every sphere that God gives to us individually and corporately. What exists now as the modern church will not see this nation saved. We need to birth new initiatives and take new approaches in order to see the world come to know Jesus and to see the reality of his kingdom spread across the earth. No matter how good this time together is, the majority of people in our nation will never be inclined to step foot in any church's building. If we're waiting around for people to just turn up one day, I think we'll be waiting for a long time. We need to allow the Lord to stir our hearts and ignite a passion for what he is passionate about. We need to step out of the slumber that can result from, the, from repetitive Christian activity and grasp the commission of Christ with both hands and understand that you're saved for a purpose and that purpose isn't your comfort or your peace or your perfection. It's to fulfill the purposes of God. What will it take to see this city change to look like Jesus and his kingdom? That's what the apostolic mindset thinks about. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to see this place transformed? It'll mean doing things differently than we've done before. It'll mean taking risks and doing radical things in obedience to Holy Spirit. It'll mean laying down our lives, our agendas and our preferences and taking up our cross and following Jesus every single day. 
It's a costly plan, but it's the only plan that God has for his bride is to do what he did and live as he lived and, and just be sold out to him. Let's pray. We need the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not going to try and convince you. I'm, I'm, I am trying to convince you with my words. But it's not. Ultimately, it's like the Holy Spirit's got to, got to bring that conviction. And I'm speaking to myself here. I'm not saying, I'm not browbeating anybody, saying you're not doing this. You're amazing. I love you. But it's like, man, I just want to see this city changed. I want to see this nation changed. And I believe that's God's heart. Let's pray. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we invite your Holy Spirit just to stir our hearts, Lord. Come and stir our hearts, Lord. Would you come and just revision us, Lord? Would you come and just awaken within us, Lord, that a burden and a desire a burden and a desire for you, Lord. A burden and a desire for more of you, God. I know even for myself, Lord, I want, a, I want an insatiable desire for you to be in my heart, Lord. A desire just to be with you, to hear your voice, to say what you're saying, to do what you're doing, Lord. But Father, I know how easy it is just to fall into comfort, to fall into complacency, to fall, fall into just the, the rhythms of just waking up and doing life. But Father, I pray that you would just release a heavenly-sized vision, a God-sized vision, Lord, and you would help us to grasp it, Father. You would awaken a desire, not just for you, but also for what you desire, Lord. That as we delight in you, you would give us the desires of our heart. You would put your desires in our heart, Lord. And Father, I pray just for a release and an activation, Lord, of that apostolic anointing, Lord, over this community, over those who are, who are watching online, Lord, listening to this later on. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just release that apostolic anointing, Lord? Give us a vision for lives transformed. Give us a vision for regions, cities, nations transformed, Lord. You are big enough, Lord. You are powerful enough. You have all authority, Lord. Even as we might look at our family, we think, how could you do this, Lord? We just believe that you can. How could you transform my workplace, Lord? How could you transform the neighborhood that I'm in? But Lord, we know that you are the divine strategist, Lord, that you have blueprints, God. And I just pray for an impartation now, Lord, that we would receive that. Give us sight. Give us courage, Holy Spirit. Give us that willingness to cost ourselves for your sake. For the sake of those who don't know you today, Lord. Burden our heart for the lost. Burden our heart for the broken, Lord. Father, we'd be willing to break out of our habits and our patterns, even our work weeks, Lord. We say, what does it need? What do we need to do to see these things happen? What do I need to change in order that I would make space to hear from you, to be led by you, to make disciples of others, Lord to share the good news of you, Jesus, and your kingdom. So I just thank you, Father, even as you're raising up apostolic leaders in this place, Father, that will go out and establish new works, Lord. 
whether it be new churches or just new works of impact, Lord, in our city, new businesses, Lord, that would transform culture, new initiatives, Father. We just thank you for divine strategies being activated now. Father, even I just pray for business leaders, Lord, that as much as, as Father, businesses can be places of, of, of raising funds to, to pour into the church, Lord, but Father, that there'd also be an activation of seeing, but this business could transform culture. What I'm doing can transform culture in this place. I don't just need to make more money so the church can do something. I am the church. And I'm here in this place, maybe in this community that the church isn't in. And I can be a blessing here. I can see an impact here. We thank you, Father, for an apostolic culture in this community. That we'd, we'd, we'd just be open and willing to do things differently, Lord. To see things differently, Lord. To move as you're moving, Lord. Just to follow the pillar of your presence, Lord. To not get stuck in our own preferences, Lord, but just to go after your presence. Whatever you're desiring, we want to say yes to you, God. Wherever you're going, that's where we want to be, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would activate, that you would activate us as missionaries, Lord. Father, as we are all in full-time ministry, we are also all full-time missionaries, Lord. We are all sent ones, sent to make disciples, to bring a kingdom. I pray, Father, you would just activate us, just burden our hearts, Lord. Even now, Father, I pray that you would just even give us in our mind's eye, Lord, names of people and you're like, these are the ones that, my, that I'm wanting you to love upon. These are the ones that I'm wanting you to, to share your testimony with. These are the ones I'm wanting you to, to invite into your home for a meal to share your life with. These are the ones that I'm wanting to sh- just to reach out and bless. Maybe to bless them financially, bless them by praying for them in private and, and with them, Lord. But I pray, Lord, we need that boldness, God. We need that boldness, Lord, to step outside of ourselves, to step into what you have, God. Father, we are excited for what you're doing. We're excited, Lord. We agree with what you're doing. We agree with what you're saying. We agree with where you're going, Lord. And Father, I'm excited for in in 20 years' time to look back and say, look what you did in this city, Lord. Look what you did in this region, God. And you took us, Lord. This is loaves and fishes, people. What do I have to offer? But a vessel filled with your spirit. But Lord... Brad Joss on his own can't accomplish much. But Brad Joss filled with your spirit, obedient to your word and willing to go wherever you want him to go. Many, many multiple things can be accomplished, Lord, for generations, Father. And I think that's the same for each and every one of us, Lord, regardless of where we are. Regardless of even the stage of life that we're in, Lord, you would activate those dreams and that vision for breakthrough and transformation, Lord. Whether it be small, large, massive, God, give us dreams that are beyond ourselves because we know your plan is bigger 
than our plans. Your dream is bigger than our dream. We pray in activation today, Lord, that we would take that first step towards the plans and purposes that you have for our lives, Lord. No more waiting. No more delaying. No more excuses in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, bless you, bless you, family. I would love to pray for you. You might even feel like, man, I just feel like God's stirring creativity in my heart. I feel like God's stirring this apostolic thing. Come forward. We'd love to pray. I'd love to lay hands on you and activate that in greater measure. If you just need healing, you need a word of encouragement, we'd love to pray for you. If not, be blessed. You've got a few minutes before you need to pick up your kids if you have them, but please stick around. Uh, Have morning tea with us and uh, get to know someone new. Invite them into your home. Pray for them, bless them. Love you guys.